Hey, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for coming back and checking out the program with us today. I'm Jason and you're in the sanctuary. Today we'll be talking to Lynn Tate. He is the deacon at United Christian Fellowship Church here in Port Natchez, Texas. Got a couple of things that I wanted to touch on with you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. Uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you've been listening to a lot of things, especially with the border wall situation. You've been listening to a lot of things about the opioid crisis in our country and the heroin crisis and whatnot. We'll touch base on that. Also want to talk to you a little bit about abortion. I told you uh, last week it's not always going to be in your face, pointing the fingers, but sometimes these subjects are going to come up. So today we're going to talk a little bit about abortion, how I feel about it if you don't already know. Praise Jesus. And uh, we will eventually get to the scripture, the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. You can pause the program and go look that up right now if you want to, or you can save it, wait, and be surprised. Either way, it'll be a blessing to you. We're going to talk to Brother Lynn Tate about what it means to be a deacon in God's church today. And we're going to play Who Dat? I'm excited about that, and uh, let's just get right into it. Hey, Lynn, how are you? Great. Well, praise the Lord. It's good to have you on the program today. Lynn, I know that we talked a little bit this morning, and you uh, are not yet. Just let me tell you, we do have an opioid crisis here in the United States of America, and I know that for anybody that's, that doesn't already know, listen, everybody, I would think, except maybe Lynn, has been affected in one way or another by drug use, either you've got a cousin or a brother or your mom and dad, your daughter or son, somewhere, somehow, down the line, you've been affected, your life has been affected by drug use. Is that not true with you, Brother Lynn? That's correct. It's correct that you have not been affected at all by drug use. I have never, personally, uh -huh. been involved with any type of right, sure. illegal... Have you ever had a family member or friend, maybe? Yes, yeah, so like I say, down the line, some way, you've been affected by it. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that hadn't been somehow affected by it. Amen? Amen. So, uh, before I get into the facts, you told me something this morning about a rock concert that you went to. Tell me about that. Long time ago, uh, in Beaumont, there was a McDonald's gym. It was at Lamar. And uh, ZZ Top was playing there. Uh, that was about 19, either 73 or 74. I don't remember exactly. And a lot of my friends were going. And so I decided to go. And uh, we sat up there uh, and towards the top of the cheap seats, nosebleeds. And, up in the balcony? Uh, whatever it was in the gym, it was up at <laughs> the top. And uh, you could smell that some people were participating in uh, the smoking of marijuana. And uh, although I didn't become affected, it was you could smell it was there. And so that was kind of my first experience about being around marijuana, other than them coming to the school and telling you what it was and so forth, right. junior high and high school. And uh, so, yeah, that was the first time that I'd ever been around uh, and seen a lot of people uh, partaking. Wow. 
Yes. Okay, and but it didn't affect you. You're up there, the smoke wafting up from the bottom, and you're breathing the second hand sign. Did not affect you at all, Lynn. I don't recall. Okay. <laughs> I did not inhale. I held my breath the whole time. Praise the Lord. Well, Lynn, listen, the situation as far as drug use in America and probably the world over has gone drastically beyond marijuana use. In fact, as far as the opioids, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, those of you out there in podcastia, opioids are uh, painkillers like you probably heard of oxycotton, oxycodone. These are opioid-based painkillers that have been prescribed. And what happens is these people, Lynn, they, they get prescribed these medications and then after whatever it is that was causing them the pain, once that's gone, they can't get the prescription anymore. They become and addicted. They Once they're addicted and they can't get the prescription anymore, they turn to the streets. Um, we're looking at the, these dealers are selling the Oxycontins for $80 a piece. Well, you know, if you can't afford that, what they're doing is they're switching over to a much cheaper sister drug, if you will, heroin. A lot easier to come by on the streets. And then the problem with that is it's being laced with fentanyl. And that's killing people. In fact, uh, now according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, this was this uh, information was revised in January of this year. It was this month. Every day, more than 130 people in the U.S. die of overdose on opioids. How sad is that? That's pretty bad. In fact, it says here, when the opioid started becoming the drug of choice for pain maintenance, if you will, it was the late 1990s and the pharmaceutical companies now according to, let me just read what they have in the National Institute on Drug Abuse here. In the late 1990s, pharmaceutical companies reassured the medical community that patients would not become addicted to prescription opioid pain relievers. Now in 2015, Lynn, more than 33,000 Americans died as a result of an opioid overdose. That includes prescriptions and heroin and the illicitly manufactured fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid. And the tragic part of that is in a culture the children should bury their parents, except in times of war. It's always been said that's when the par- parents bury the children. But what this has caused is parents parents burn- burying their children, um, and it's not supposed to be that way. Right, right. That's yeah, absolutely it's tragic. It is tragic, Lynn. It is. And but here's even the worst part of it now. And I'm gonna quote or I'm gonna read from Relevant Magazine, okay? And it's a Christian publication, at least for the most part. I haven't read everything that they've put out, but this is interesting to note that on January eighteenth of two thousand nineteen, they put this out. And uh Relevant Magazine bringing out something that was in the New York Times, okay? New York Times revealed that the company that makes Oxycontin orchestrated efforts to mislead doctors and the public about just how dangerous their drug was. 
meaning they knew the addictive qualities of these drugs and they lied about it. Kind of like cigarettes. Kind of like the cigarettes. Well, and so now I'm not the fly on the wall there, so I can't tell you I've seen this. I can't tell you I've heard this, but according to the reports that I've read, I mean, that's some pretty scary stuff to know that these large drug manufacturing companies would be, what's the word I'm looking for? So sinister as to manufacture evidence about the harmlessness of these drugs and to say, oh no, you won't get addicted to this. Take this one, sweetheart. It'll make you feel better at knowing that they're going to end up needing this in a couple of weeks. Exactly correct. It's about worshiping the dollar. Instead of God. Uh, Lord, help us. Look, like I said, I wasn't going to spend a whole lot of time on that. And I won't. I just want to touch on one more thing when it comes to the drug use. Because I know someone. And this this is what really sparked my interest in this part of it. I know someone that was hooked on the opioids. And in fact, to the extent that you could say they are still hooked on opioids in that they have not, they haven't gone through any withdrawal. See, here's what the medical profession has come up with this great idea. They've got what's called methadone. Have you ever heard of methadone? I think so. Well, okay. So one third, I'll just throw this out there. One third of opioid deaths is caused by this methadone, which is prescribed by doctors for people who are hooked on the Oxycontins or the other opioids, well, the doctors give them a regimented dose of the methadone. So the pharmaceuticals create a problem, <laughs> and then they create an, uh, create something else to deal with the problem that they created that they make money on. A quote-unquote solution. But in 2008, and I know that's an old report, but just think about these numbers, Lynn, and all of y'all listening out there, these numbers, they only grow as the years go by. With the bigger population, the problem becomes bigger, and everybody's getting involved in this stuff, but in 2008, Lynn, 750,000 people died from methadone overdose. And this is the drug that they give you so you won't want the bad drug. You know what I'm saying? That's not the right answer. No, (laughs) no, there's got to be something better. Even if it's lock me in a closet for a week and feed me, you know, with a slingshot, do you know what I'm saying? Let me sweat it out. But praise the Lord, they're so, uh, we're so scared of going through the pain of the withdrawal, which, believe me, I'm sure it is an ugly, ugly thing to go through the withdrawal. But on the other side of that, Lynn, on the other side of that is freedom. Amen? Amen. On the other side of that is freedom. And so sometimes we have to go through the pain to get to the freedom. So look here. Sacrifice temporarily for the long-term gain. Yes, and there was one person who was quoted as saying this. I can't didn't pull up the guy's name. He said methadone and similar drugs are underutilized. Uh, yeah, right, and remember the, the numbers I gave you. 750,000 people died of methadone overdose in 2008. And currently, right now, one-third of all deaths by opioid. Death by opioid. Okay. At least one-third of those, or around one-third of those, is caused by methadone. And here's a man that says methadone and the similar drugs are underutilized. Wow. 
Yeah, what were you about to say? Uh, just thought, that's that's crazy that uh, that they uh, their cure is is more the same. Right. It's it's mind blowing. Now here's something that's interesting, and we want I want to mention this, and all of y'all listen. My listeners are very intelligent people. They far surpassed me, and I'm sure they already know about what I'm about to tell them. (laughs) Lynn just said, why did you get me on here? (laughs) Praise Jesus. Um, So, praise the Lord. There's a website, and it's called Worldometers. And I went on there this morning, Lynn, and I was looking at Worldometers, and they've got ticking off. There's so many different things. I would encourage you, sir, and all of y'all out there in Podcastia, if you would go get on the internet and look up Worldometers and just go look at all the different categories and how the numbers tick off. And some of them are ticking off at exact one-second intervals. And for me, as a skeptic, I start to think, can this really be, is this really real, or are they just showing me what they want to show me? But it's uh, it's actually pretty frightening to see some of these numbers and how quickly they turn over. Worldometers, go check that out. Now, I told you I was going to talk about abortion too. Which is the leading cause of death in 2018 worldwide. Let's see, 1.7 million people died of HIV and AIDS, 5 million died from smoking, and 8.2 million people died in 2018 from cancer. But according to Worldometers, 41.9 million abortions, just in 2018 worldwide. Yes, sir. There is, and... As I've already said, this is not a political program. I'm about to talk about a politician, so keep your pants on. It's not a political argument. It's a common sense argument. It's my intention that common sense will rule the day. But in this man's life and in this man's world and uh, in the world that we live in here in the United States, common sense doesn't rule the day, Lynn. No. Currently, common sense is not ruling even the moment. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, this according to the Christian Post, okay? New York Governor Andrew Cuomo refuses to sign the state's budget unless the legislature passes a bill that makes abortion legal up to birth. That's a disgrace. That's more than a disgrace. That's stupidity. Exactly. Science will tell you that it's a complete different person, and you're you're killing. Uh, a lot of women go, it's it's the it's the woman's body, but the child belongs to God, and you're robbing from God uh, when you take a child's life, whether in the womb or outside the womb, and and it's just plain wrong. You know, in Jeremiah, and I was going to look it up, and I didn't have enough time. Uh, he talks about, I knew you, I formed you, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. So God has a destiny, a plan for each and every one of us. And what happens is, is they rob God and us of that plan for that child's life. And of, I, I'm going to throw out a statistic, nine out of 10. I'm just throw throw out that nine out of 10. And I don't know the truth of it, but I know that of all the women I've ever talked to that have had an abortion, as soon as they did it, they felt duped. 
They felt like regret. they made it was great regret, and they talked me into this. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, they sell it, they push it, and so these women they think, oh yes, well maybe this is the right idea. He had so many good points that he that he said. You know what I mean? And so maybe this is the right move. But that woman or that young lady, they too are robbed, Lynn. You don't know that one of these children that was aborted. Might dis- well, I might have discovered the cure for cancer, the cure for diabetes, the cure for strokes. And you don't know what we have wrought. 60 million, I believe, last I heard, children were aborted before they had a chance to be born. And who knows what the value of those 60 million children would end up being. Right. Only God knows that. Right. Children are inheritance. We rob ourselves. When you get old, my mother is 86, and her children now take care of her. Uh, when you turn around and you remove those children, because my mother prayed that I would not be born. She was uh, had uh, three children. One of them had dislocated hips. One of them had eye problems. And the other was just a brat. And uh, when I was uh, conceived... And I was in my mother's womb. My mother prayed that God would, would take me from her. But God said no. And now it's me that's taking care of my mother more so than my siblings. Well, did she pray three times? Because right now I'm reminded about Paul asking the Lord would remove the thorn from his side. <laughs> Were you really that bad of a kid? <laughs> she didn't know me yet. <laughs> Praise the but Lord. But God said no because God had plans for me. Amen. And here I am a deacon in a church, a Sunday school t- teacher, a children's church teacher, going singing to the, to the elderly yeah. because God told her no. So sometimes when we ask for things from God, God says no, but it's for Because it's the right answer. That's correct. Amen. So praise the Lord. I know that when my wife got pregnant with my son, Django, and you know him, he's a great kid, super intelligent, super intelligent Amen. kid. And... But because my wife was later on in years, you know what I mean? Uh, We were not in the prime of our life when we got pregnant with him. And the doctors actually... The potential for Down syndrome is is increased. It it is. as There's increased dangers in childbirth. There's increased dangers to the kid, like you said, for Down syndrome and so many different things. And so they, I guess they're required to tell us that we have the option of terminating the pregnancy. And I said, well, you obviously don't know my Jesus. Amen. And so have you met my son? This kid is amazing. He's smarter than you. Yeah, that's not saying much, Lynn. Give the kid some credit. <laughs> praise, the, praise the Lord. So, But we're not going to stay on this except for to say, listen, I'm not going to say who said it, but it was stated that the fetus, if you will, up to birth is not a person but just a human being that hasn't been born yet and so that whoever said it the one that said that they're making or trying to make a distinction Lynn, between people and human beings so it's okay to kill a human being as long as they're not people yet Lynn. now as i as i said before for everyone listening I said in the very first episode of this podcast program in the sanctuary, I said to you, I'm not allowed to call people idiots. 
What I can say is that this person is not quite sure whether or not they are an idiot. You make the decision. Now, I, I'm not going to harp on that any longer. I'll get off of it. And if we get some smarter people than Lynn and myself to come on the program in the next few weeks. Just look around. <laughs> just anywhere, right? Just <laughs> throw a rock out the window. You'll hit somebody smarter than us. But we may revisit this. But listen to me. Think about this, people. If you're out there listening, think about this. If you're smart enough, if you got the IQ above that of cabbage. Do you have kids? Can you imagine anybody aborting a child? It seems like up until the time you give birth to your son, they can bring papers to you. If this if this guy gets what he wants and say, I know it's almost time to push, but if you'd like to sign this paper, we could go ahead and kill that child. If that doesn't strike you as ridiculously stupid, I think you may... I'm going to stop right there. You can fill in the blanks. I'd like to talk to Lynn Tate about what it means to be a deacon. Lynn, how'd you get into this mess? <laughs> how'd you get into this mess? Way back at Calvary Baptist Church in Port Acres, uh, they were looking to add some more deacons, and my name got thrown there, and I was asked if I would consider the, the ministry of a deacon, and uh, I was honored, and uh, I decided, yes, that's, that's kind of what I want to do because I enjoy teaching. I enjoy serving the Lord. So you can be a deacon without being ordained as a deacon by just an everyday life of serving God in whatever capacity, no matter how menial the job might be. It's the idea that you want to serve God. You may not have the gift to preach or be a pastor, but you want to serve God in all the capacities that you can. It's, it's If you know Jesus and you know he's the Lord of glory, and you understand who he is, you want, he's a king. He's a king worth serving. And, and, and that's kind of, uh, I was ordained. Uh, they asked you a couple questions about being saved and such when I got ordained. And uh, my, my excitement, I was going to be able to serve the Lord in a greater capacity than I ever had before. So I got that opportunity and I had hung around my pastor because I'm in a supporting role of my pastor, and I understood that. And often when I pray, God, I'm not here. It's not about me. It's about the bride. God, empower your pastor as you ordained it so to be the leader, to be the shepherd. I'm here to support the, the shepherd. Amen. I'm here to support him and take care of all those things that would uh, preoccupy him where he wouldn't have time to preach. Like in the book study. of Acts when they got the first deacons because they needed the, help for the elderly widows and they needed mm. help with people that were in need and different things like that. Exactly. So I'm my job is I call myself a keeper of the house of the Lord, which I changed from janitor, okay? Well, I, I know because <laughs> you come up here and janitize on a regular basis. Yeah, every week. And so because I'm retired... I'm able to spend more time in my deacon. It's just like anybody else. You can do something better at a full-time than part-time. And so uh, it has allowed me to become a full-time deacon. And that means make myself available to take advantage of every opportunity, whether it's going out and feeding the, the needy, the poor, the homeless, whether it's going to the nursing home, whether it's coming up here and mopping and sweeping 
and vacuuming or whether it's just being there for my pastor if he needs somebody to go with him to go to somewhere in the hospital, whatever capacity it is. But my life, taking care of my mother is being a deacon. There's, there's a lot of ways because my mother's a Christian, but there's a lot of opportunities. You don't have to have the quote, the office to serve the Lord, but it's just an office that's ordained in the ministry to set apart with seven men who became evangelists, who, who sacrificed himself, Stephen, preaching the word. And, it, and it's not, a, a, you don't have to be an ordained minister or preacher to be a deacon, but you got to love the Lord and got to be willing to serve. And you have, there's a Bible calls being apt to teach, to be able to take time and teach kids. So here I am almost 63 years old and I teach kids from three to whatever age they are. Well, I know when my son leaves your class, he leaves knowing more scripture than he did when he came exactly. in. Exactly. I have my kids memorize scripture. Teach them about the scripture, but memorize it because I want the Holy Spirit to have something to work with when I'm not up there. Right. Well, okay. While you're taking a breath, let me back you up just a little bit. You said that you became full-time deacon because before you were working, even after you retired from Valero, you were walking on top of houses. You were inspecting homes for insurance company and stuff like that. Something happened, Lynn, that took you from being a part-time deacon and part-time worker to being full-time deacon. Why don't you uh, brush on that just for a second? Um, the dreaded word that begins with a C. Everybody Carnivorous. Fears. You ate too much meat and got a full belly. <laughs> I wish that was it. Cancer. I got cancer twice. And so um, the second one was melanoma which if you're going to be outside, it's not good. You need to, so God kind of uh, brought the first cancer in. I got over that and I thought I'd just go back to work because I like doing stuff. And uh, the second cancer kind of said, God's got a message here. <laughs> okay, the first one I could ask, just a bump in the road. The second time I said, God's trying to tell me something. And I remember I telling my wife when I first got diagnosed that I guess I'm not long for this world. And uh, dealing with the finality of life and all that kind of come at me at one time. Well, I uh, I decided that uh, when I went through and had the, the the cancer removed on my neck and so forth, and I wouldn't go back to work, that I could come up here and just volunteer to do things uh, to serve the Lord. And so I started sweeping and mopping and vacuuming. Then I decided to come up here and start reading my Bible daily here instead of the house. And I'd come up here and start praying, and God began to reveal uh, truths to me, and it became a teaching, Him teaching me, because I, and I've come to the point, God, just teach me, teach me Your ways, O Lord. And so, uh, in in a way, cancer's been a blessing to me. Not that I enjoy any of those things that I went through, Lord, no. Uh, but the result is, at the end of all the the cancer journey that I have been blessed because I've become to know the Lord better. And he's revealed things to me that I used to read in the Bible that uh, the psalmist would say, man, my, my dream is to be in the house of the Lord every day and see the beauty of the Lord. And I would look, what God, I've been going to Christian now since 1977. I'm looking for you. And God said, no, it's not his physical presence, the beauty of the Lord. His beauty is in the changed lives, that they bear fruit. And and that began to, to teach me. And I said, man, I want some more of this because I can go to church now and you can see people, a group of people that are changed by the preaching of the word, 
by the Jesus Christ coming and, and changing people's lives. And so uh, you, as you begin to see that, that's the beauty of the Lord. And I began to learn a lot more and uh, the fear of the Lord. I was go, okay, the fear of the Lord. You know, we're supposed to love the Lord, but fear him, you know, I, how do I take those two statements and make them make sense? And then I, I read when I'm up here reading and I read about the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And God tells us to love the Lord, the God with all our heart, our mind, our soul and strength. But we're to hate what God hates, which is evil, which is pride, arrogance, the evil way, the froward mouth, the argumentative, complaining mouth. God hates that. But God says that's what he wants us to hate, hate what he hates. But he wants us to love the great commandment, to love him and to love our neighbor as ourself. And you begin to, to be able to, God gives revelation and goes like, wow, yeah, more stuff. Going. <laughs> so every day I come up here and I don't clean every day, but I come up and pray and read my Bible up here every day because I want more revelation. Right. Once you wet your whistle on the word of God, Amen. you can't satisfy it. You want to know more. Because I want to know more about my creator. And so in the middle of all this now, you're cancer-free. Cancer-free. You've free. beat it twice. Twice. And within Christ one year. beating it in you. Within one <laughs> year. If you're going to knock them down twice, do it all at once. Just bam, 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 like dominoes and get it over with. And lost 45 pounds in the process. The doctor told me to stay, stay avoid. Because I asked, how do I maintain a healthy lifestyle to avoid having cancer again? He said, avoid animal protein. Don't do that, Lynn. Telling me about not eating meat. <laughs> and sugar. Oh, and that I can do without. Oh, not me. That's more addictive than, they said it's the most addictive thing on earth to the it's body. Worse than the opioids and the heroin? <laughs> well, That's what they say. I don't know. I've never dealt, I've, I've just had the sugar cravings that uh, I've dealt with all my life. Okay, well, Lynn, listen, all of that is really good stuff and I'm eating it up. Let's play Who Dat? Are you ready? Do you know about this game? That's the Saints, isn't it? The Who no, 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 oh. no. This is, has nothing to do with the New Orleans Saints. Are you familiar with the game? Have you listened to the podcast, Lynn? You asked some hard questions. I asked make the people look stupid. And Yes, and I'm now going to do it to you. But I'm <laughs> and to It's all about Jesus. Yes. The guy that died on the cross. Answer's <laughs> done. It's done. Game over. <laughs> Goodbye. Here we go. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, or I'm going to give you a... Basically, it's the same question. It's who am I? But first, got to give you a hint, okay? Okay, hint number one, Lynn. Is it a deacon? It is not. Oh, man. That would be an extra hint if I told you. That's not fair. It's not how we play the game. Okay. One, I made it halfway up the mountain. Who am I? I made it halfway up the mountain. It's not Aaron, huh? It's not Aaron, no sir. Not. Okay. Question number two, and this is the one where you're going to probably get it. It's a New Testament. <laughs> As, okay, do you want that to be hint number two? <laughs> no, hint number two. I squared off with the leader of the armies of God. 
Now that's a that's a misquote. I'm sure I'm butchering the scriptures right then. But I faced off with or squared off with the leader of the armies of God. Now when I realized who he was, I fell on my face. Joshua met the captain of the host of Israel. Joshua it is. Now, then it's just a waste to have the other one. I led Israel across the Jordan River. So you would have got it. But that's why I gave you the harder one before that. (laughs) Praise Jesus. So it was, in fact, Joshua. So now I got to know, since you got that one in two, you got one chance to answer on the second one. I hung on the cross. Jesus. There you go. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Okay, listen, Lynn. Thank you so much. Before you go, we are running really long on this program, but it was very interesting, everything that was said. So, But we've got a scripture. I told them we were going to hit on a scripture. It's in Song of Solomon. It's chapter 1, verse 4. I want you to listen to it here, and then we'll touch on it for just a minute. It says this, Draw me, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than the wine. The upright love you. And so it almost seems like, Lynn, when you first read it, this person is schizophrenic or something crazy going on. But she says, draw me, we will run after you. And I wanted to point this out to the people that are listening, and especially for those that have been affected by the opioid use, those that have been affected by... uh, abortion in any way if they've had one they're planning on having one they've been affected in some way their family members have been affected by the these drugs or this abortion or any other thing drug addiction or alcohol addiction anything that's got you down i want you to listen to this scripture again draw me we will run after you the king has brought me into his chambers we will be glad and rejoice and you listen to me this is what happens okay you're by, you're all alone in this, especially if you're in the drug addiction, if you're in, if you've had the abortion, and so many women that I've spoke to, they feel so alone, they feel so rejected, they feel so hurt, and there's no way that they can get by it. Well, I can tell you that you're not alone. And if you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's something amazing that happens because when you come to Him, it's a personal thing. When He draws you, you know, Christ said, no man can come to me or woman, thank you, Uh, unless the Father who sent me draws them and when he begins to draw you and pull at your heartstrings, if you would just come to him and if you would just as yourself and by yourself alone that, that one moment when it's just you and Christ and you give your life to him, you become part of the body. When he draws you, a solo person, all alone, it's just you and you come at it alone. But as soon as you receive him, You're never just you again. It's never just about you anymore. Now it's about the body of Christ. Now it's us. It's we together. You're not alone in what you're going through if you just need to cry out to Jesus. The body will be with you. You'll be part of the body if you just give your life to Him. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and Savior, to teach you how to live for Him and to walk in Him. Amen? And if you'll do that, then you'll be, Linda, have you ever seen a movie where the, the guys are in this really intense moment and one of them's trying to back away and the other one grabs him by the shirt collar and says, this is bigger than the both of us. Well, this is, it's, it's bigger than you. 
the problems that you're having, they're bigger than you. You can't do this alone. That's why suicide is up. That's why people, they got nowhere else to turn. They got, they got no one else they can look to and they're going through it all by themselves. But if you just cry out to Christ, you're not in it alone. And it's because you don't know. And because you don't know what Jesus is there for. You don't know. But if you cry out to him, you cry out to him, you'll know if there's forgiveness. You'll begin to know and learn how wonderful he is. Because we've all been in that situation where we had to cry out because I don't care how good you think you are or people that you say, they're good by according to the world, but we all need a savior. We're all yeah. have been in that situation. We've all had to cry out and go, I don't like this life I'm in. I want something. And God says, I can, he'll make me a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. All things become new. It's a start over, but it's not starting over by yourself. It's not starting over alone. It's because of what he's done that you'll never be alone. And you can go to, you need to be uh, to, uh, assemble yourselves with a church that you can learn and people that will hold you up and will bless your life. And you can watch how they live and you can learn because when you get saved, you don't know it all. You're just beginning to walk. And, and a lot of times you see little kids when they first step and they fall, but they get back up. And it's because of what God is doing in your life. He will get you back up. Amen. And he will associate you with people that will benefit you, that you will grow. And your life will be changed. Because I can remember, life could be depressing. But man, since God has come into my life, he's changed it. Hallelujah. Life is better today at 63 than it was at 21 Amen. when I was lost. And I know freedom is in Jesus because he says where I am there's liberty and we all yearn for liberty to be free of bondage and we're born my dad and my mother great people but I was born into bondage that's right gravity uh my DNA had limitations I could never do a cartwheel that's just my physical I had physical limitations one now no because I am like my mother and my father but God has made me something a new creature in Christ Jesus and I still can't do a cartwheel but one day's coming. My day's coming. I'm going to be free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Amen. That's absolutely right. Thank you so much. Listen, thank you for checking out the program today. I'm sorry we are out of time. Lynn Tate. Amazing to have him on the show today. Come back and check us out next week. I'm certain you'll get another blessing. We love you.